Welcome to the Pinch to Zoom podcast. I'm Stetson. And I'm Gabe. This is episode five. And on this week's episode of the podcast, we are discussing what platform or medium is the go-to for digital creators in 2019. Sounds riveting. I can't wait to get to it. But before we do... We have our ad. No, we don't. We, we don't wish. have any ads. Well, we, we have don't some... wish. I don't know. Honestly, do you? If we ever got approached by a company for ads, would you want to? How do, do we? It? Inter- we'd have to integrate it smartly. I don't know. We'd figure that out. Yeah, but that's 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 hypothetical. Uh, you know, let us know if you don't want us to be an ad-based podcast. Maybe it is. We go... Maybe we get a Patreon or something. That's always. That's definitely one way. Honestly, we're now almost getting into the part of the creator. Oh thing. yeah. All right. Pivot. What are yeah. we actually talking about? We're actually talking about quick news. Quick news. Quick news. Quick news. Quick news. Yeah, I got you doing it now too. It's catchy. All right. So. First thing, uh, we got two co- uh, conferences that happened, so we'll get to those coming up in a little bit. The first little quick news is the Tesla actually announced that they're going to start selling their $35,000 Model 3. Finally. Finally. You know, they they that was the big price point that they put, you know, $35,000, uh, get 300 mile plus range was the, like the big thing for an electric car. This hype, yeah. And, you know, they announced it, what, almost two years ago now? It was it was a long time ago, and I remember in that announcement, they put that $35,000 price point as the target. Like, this is going to hit that, that I mean, target. that was, that was, that's like literally seared into my mind whenever I think Model 3. But the big thing is that for the past, like, year or so, when they've been shipping these Model 3s uh, in the U.S. and now just starting in China and Europe, they've all cost upwards of, I think the cheapest one, probably about $45,000. Uh, with some going as expensive as like eighty thousand, you know, once you get the performance package, you know, the different wheels, the interiors, and all that stuff, you really upgrade that Model Three. Yeah, I mean, it's essentially it was like a entry level. Uh, what was it? Model the, S. Model S. Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. You could. It's an interesting concept. You could take a Model Three and spec it up, or you could get a lower end Model S. Kind of a difference, uh, different driving experience, different interior design, obviously. But now they have finally announced. Their new standard range $35,000 car. Yep. So if you've been holding out on, you know, getting an electric car, uh, you know, this might be the time to jump in on it. Tesla obviously is one of the most well-known luxury electric car makers. Uh, so this lets you get in on that or, you know, maybe hold out for a little bit, look for something. Uh, there's definitely some more coming. I know Volvo just announced uh, their new electric car. It's going to be more expensive, obviously, than 35000 but you also have the Bolt which is Chevy's electric car for around thirty thousand dollars, thirty-five thousand. And I think Nissan, the um, Nissan Leaf, yeah, they that's... came up with a redesigned Leaf. It, this it year. does. Look, it looks pretty nice. It's I definitely, think, yeah, it's, it's, it's a huge improvement. It's distinct. It's kind of like what the Prius was a little bit, where it's that you definitely recognize that it's a Leaf. It's a little bit of quirkiness, a little yeah. bit of character to it. Um, and yeah, and I guess to jumping back to the Tesla, to be clear, this does start at thirty-five thousand dollars before savings. I know Tesla can kind of influence their prices by factoring in gas savings and federal tax incentives. Um, And if you do take that into consideration, Tesla is claiming it brings the price down to about $24,950. Well, that's, I mean, that's, I take that with a grain of salt, just like when, you know, some company says this gets so many miles per gallon. Uh, I know one thing is that the federal tax incentive has gone down this year. Because Tesla sold over two hundred thousand dollar car, two hundred thousand cars, uh, which is that after um, any manufacturer does that for electric cars, the way the current uh, electric incentive is set up through the government, it drops the uh, overall like tax rebate you get. Basically, that's unfortunate. Uh, this is a two hundred twenty mile range vehicle. T- 
top speed of 130 miles per hour and a zero to 60 of 5.6 seconds. Yeah, that's pretty good. It is pretty, pretty good. good. Uh, and very enticing now at $35,000 where it's, it's still not a cheap car, but it's at least for what you're getting, it's more affordable for the average person possibly. Absolutely. There are a few sacrifices. You're getting what Tesla is calling the standard interior uh, and this has manual seat adjustments and steering wheel adjustments as opposed to motorized and electric ones. You're getting a basic audio package and standard maps and navigation. Upgrading to a partial premium interior or a premium interior will, of course, upgrade your vehicle. And you'll get either more range and, um, honestly, a little bit better of a car. Uh, but they did hit that price point. That was their target, $35,000. It's here. Yeah. Well, can't wait to see uh some of those going on the road and seeing just how much of a if it's a deal or if it's you know you're really kind of missing out a lot that's a good that's a good point uh now moving on to the next thing and quick news quick news quick news we're going to be talking about mobile world congress uh which actually just happened right it did just happen um and for those of you unfamiliar mobile world congress it's hosted by gsma uh, it started a while ago. I'm reading it was inaugurated in 1987. Um, it used to be held in Keynes and was known as the 3GSM World. It was rebranded in 2014 to Mobile World Congress. Um, and yeah, there have been a lot of events. It's a really great place. It's held in Spain, typically. I think it's Barcelona, right? Yeah, in Barcelona, yeah. yeah. Um, and this is where a diverse range of phone manufacturers typically come out with their new announcements for the new year. Yeah, you. Uh, I mean, this is one reason why Samsung released their uh, Galaxy and had their Galaxy event when they did, because that was basically, you know, they announced it here, get ahead of all these other phones that come out, and then they can put it on display at this event. And kind of have it alongside these new releases as well. Obviously, you don't have Apple there. You know, that's just, I mean, Apple I'm, I'm saying thing. that, but like people should just assume Apple's there. It's also there. like really interesting. This event is at the beginning of the year yeah. when I feel like Apple's strategy is to release everything right before the holiday season. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, I mean, they have an event coming up soon and then they obviously have their, uh, their, what is it? Developers conference in June. Yeah. But yeah, they really, Apple is more and more, I guess, has gone to like very late in the year coming out with their new devices. Yeah. It's interesting what Samsung does. They will alternate it having one now with the S10 and then we'll have the Note series phone kind of in the middle of the year. Yeah. Apple very much towards the fall. Anyway, Gabe, what's getting into it? Yeah. First, there's only, we there was a ton of phones released, ton of products released. I mean, we talked previously about the Energizer phones. Uh, there was those coming out, you know, there was some phones from Sony some phones from basically every company that makes phones and even some of the ones that don't they decide we're going to start making phones uh but the three big things we're going to talk about the first one is the huawei mate x which if you're not familiar with this this is their foldable phone uh and we were just talking about affordable prices with the model 3 this one goes for two thousand six hundred dollars so oh my god this is laptop this is high end this is like laptop it's getting territory. out of control like, at this point all right so you could get either a smartphone and a high-end laptop. Yeah. Or you can get the Huawei foldable phone, the Mate 10. Yeah, I mean, that's like $2,600, $2,600. That's a really good DSLR or uh, like mirrorless camera full frame. This is a questionable investment lens, possibly. all around. Yeah. What is happening? What is What does this phone do, Gabe, that makes it so special and so expensive? I mean, the main thing, obviously, is the foldableness. Uh, 
it's I think it's uh slightly different from the Samsung one, I think, right? Because it folds both ways. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is the real distinct uh difference between these two folds. Samsung Galaxy Fold, two screens. The bigger screen is on the inside of the device. So you open it up like a book and the screen is on the inside. With the Mate X, the screen is on the outside. So it's actually only one screen. You use half of it as the phone, and then you kind of reach around the back and unfold it as if you were unfolding the cover of the book. And yeah. all of a sudden, you're you've like doubled the screen size, and you're now holding a tablet. Yeah, uh, I really I don't know. There's I mean the, this wasn't the only foldable phone unveiled or talked about. As I think there was one by what TCL. Uh, there was obviously the the Royal phone, um, and I think LG had their like V50 one where it was essentially like a mirrored display so you had the phone and then you have another display with it but it's not actually connected but it kind of acts as like two displays i don't know there was everyone foldable displays are the new notch type thing it's it's a trend but i think phone manufacturers have yet to see if it'll really catch on yeah this is very first gen and the thing that is very key uh is no one's really actually gotten many not many people have gotten their hands on these things and I think the big thing that we're going to learn about is because it's a foldable screen, we're so used to having glass screens on all of our devices, which is really nice. Obviously, glass, or at least yet, it doesn't fold. I know uh, it's not, Corning it's not is working bendable. on that. Yeah. But for the time being, yeah, it can't bend. So you're getting a plastic screen in there that really does not feel like a premium quality screen on a, on a device that you're paying a definitely premium price for. Absolutely. And I think this has uh, tremendous disadvantages as well, where this is not something you can put a case on, right? Because suddenly no. it's yeah. like folding. So that means there's no case. There's less protection. It's more likely to break. No screen protector. No right? screen protector, because I don't think we can well, do that. Well, if it folds, though, I guess. Maybe a that... plastic screen protector. But does but... that kind of protect it itself? But it's also if you get stuff in there. I don't know. Yeah. It's expensive. And I think we really have to question, is this going to boost productivity or do something we haven't been able to do before? The interesting thing I heard, uh, I forget where I heard it, was someone saying that, you know, I don't really see the use uh, at like this size where you're having a smartphone to a tablet. But what could be interesting, because you've never, how many times do you use your smartphone and be like, oh, if only I had a slightly bigger screen? Zero, never. There's not many people who, if you said... I mean, yes, if, you know, if, if Samsung releases a bigger phone or Apple releases a bigger phone, there'll be people who go out and get it. You know, I have the iPhone XS Max or 10X Max. So, I, and, you know, I like a big phone and you have a smaller phone and that's good for you. So, yeah, obviously that doesn't happen much, right? Uh, yeah, I get a phone that I want to be portable, light, easy to text with, and, and I get done. a tablet that yeah. is like bigger for media consumption or I get a laptop like so I think, but I, where I think this could be useful and where I, this person was saying that I was watching a video about was that, you know, when you're using a 10 inch or 12 inch tablet, there are a lot of times when that gets inconvenient when it comes time to pack it up. So possibly having, you know, a 10 or 12 inch tablet that can fold down to be like a seven inch tablet, um, a, to be more convenient to like travel with, but also to be smaller to use so you can, you know, do stuff in one hand. And then when you go, go to like, if you want to watch something or you know do some real drawing or stuff you unfold it to like a 10 or 12 inch i could kind of see that i could also see um just a dedicated tablet like we're making foldable phones but kind of to your point 
it almost makes more sense to me to have a foldable tablet. Well, that's what, yeah, that's what it would be. Where you just get that extra portability. Like you're not getting any screens. Oh, not an, okay. Yeah, yeah. like no bells and whistles, just not not a front, so you're not getting a smaller screen. Yeah, you're just getting a tablet that is essentially more portable because it can fold up. I definitely, that does seem like that is a big possibility. And that would, I don't know, we'll see where it goes. The technology is going to come a long way. And these are just kind of like the first gen, like almost uh, like beta devices. Yeah, and and even now the pricing is just extreme. Yeah, curious to see the reviews when those well, that's, go that's live for later because this is quick news. And when the time, I mean, the segment in which we spend way too much time, or not maybe not way too much, but we spend more time than it would be allocated in the quick or hinted at in the quick part of the title. This is right? true. So we are moving on. <laughs> you don't want me to explain that more in depth. I think <laughs> no, I, I have a whole full soliloquy prepared here. Uh, it's my thesis. And we'll come to next right. episode. Okay. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the next thing we're moving on in quick news, quick news, quick news is the Nokia PureView 9. Uh, now, I think the best way to start describing this phone is by describing it uh, visually, like what it looks like. One word, one word. Uncomfortable. Uh, no, think like alien, right? When you well, Aliens with hive? lots of eyes. I'm I think thinking. of a hive, like a hex. Basically, this is a device that has... When you look at the back of it, it looks like it has seven cameras. It actually only has five cameras, but there are two of them. One's a flash and one's, I think we're thinking like maybe proximity or something like that. Basically, it's on the back of it. It has like a circle of six dots and then one in the center. And five of those are cameras. Uh, They're all 12 megapixel sensors. Two of them are RGB and three of them are monochrome. So... Yeah, you might be like, all right, this is getting out of control. You know, we just had the S10 release, you know, there. Uh, there I mean, the Samsung released the S10 with three cameras. Now we got five. They're multiplying. Next, we're going to have 20. Uh, this is kind of different than the S10, though, I think. I think it's a very different approach. It's a very curious strategy of Nokia. I really think they're hitting a strong point with consumers right now. We're at the point where mobile phones are seriously rivaling point-and-shoot cameras. People want one device they can put in their pocket, get more diverse shots, get better shots with. So I think emphasizing the camera is good. Uh, I think their approach, we have yet to see its effectiveness. It looks like a really strange device. Um, And we just gotta see how these cameras are able to work in unison together. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of odd. It is limited edition. I was just looking at, so when they're gone, they're gone. Um, but overall, I mean the phone itself, you know, it, it supports HDR 10. It's a, it's not a, it's somewhat bezel-less on the sides, uh, has the top, you know, no notch. It just has the like standard bar across the top with the, uh, like speaker for your, uh, making calls. And then the bottom has a, does it have a home button? Can't remember I if think I saw. Android has. I think it just has the virtual home button. Yeah, uh, and a slight chin on the bottom. So it's nothing like overall, other than the cameras. Really, it's nothing incredible spec wise. But it's really the it's doing what there was. I know there was a phone that came out, or not a phone, a camera that came out. I think maybe a year ago it got kickstarted. It had 18 lenses on the back. I remember you seeing. Probably, this. if you're any, anything into tech or cameras, you probably saw something and thought, "Gosh, it looks like some spider or something like that." Um, and it's so they made this phone in like collaboration with that company so it's i don't know it'll be interesting basically what it lets you do is in post you get to do a lot of that like post processing selecting focus in post um and overall it's just supposed to be you know if they're putting five lenses on there you're gonna hope that it's gonna be really good for photos like 
It better be. Yeah. And we'll see when the reviews come out of that. Yeah, as I well. honestly am thinking of picking one of these up to test out. Uh, and if and I was just reading if it's limited edition, you know, then I should get a good price on Swappa. We got to get our mention oh, of Swappa yeah. in. Absolutely. This <laughs> once, time it was once you. Per episode. I know I'm doing it now too. You got me got me doing it, but you know, you yeah, possibly keep that resale price phone. high, yeah. We'll see. Anyways, uh, moving on to our next thing in quick news, quick news, quick news. That was released at Mobile World Congress is the HoloLens 2. This is a really unique product from Microsoft. It's so unique that this is only actually a developer's edition, though, so don't get too excited, Stetson. It's only really for businesses. And what is the HoloLens? This is a augmented reality headset. Yeah, think like Oculus, but also you can see through it. It's like Google Glass, but immersive. Yeah. So your vision, they improved the field of view by two times, which is tremendous. And you can place virtual objects in the real world. Only you or other people with the headset can see them. Um, and you can see them, interact with them. They can be overlaid on real objects. Okay. And I think this is uh, really helpful for doing repairs or working with machinery or equipment you're unfamiliar yeah. with. Yeah. This can be really powerful and impactful for training and for helping people kind of solve real I, problems. One thing I think would be really cool. I mean, obviously, it's going to be weird. Well, maybe you could work it into the environment. But like for restaurants... I don't know why I've always thought this would be a cool thing, but having the waiters being able to like, you know, those video games you play online where you like serve people, right? Okay. And you see above their, or like quote unquote serve people and you see above their heads like, oh, we're waiting on this and like how long they've been waiting. Yeah. Imagine that in like real world. So as you're, as the waiters are walking through the restaurant, they can see, oh, this person has had this, this, this. Oh, they're waiting right, on this. Right. Like, like, oh man, we really need those chips and guac. Yeah. Like it would be so cool. Get those um, bust out here. Yeah, I think that would be really cool. Obviously, yeah, if you have a huge... The Holland's is pretty big. I don't know. Maybe a futuristic re West restaurant could work it in. But yeah, I just grabbed your credit card, by the way, and I'm purchasing it. Uh, so hopefully you don't mind. It's only $3,500. 3, <laughs> uh, no mean, big deal. I'd rather get that than a foldable tablet. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. It, it is actually kind of true because this at least feels like it's... Even though it is still, a, you know, a definitely way in advance product, like this is not a final completed product uh, uh it's definitely mainly for developers it still feels like it's a lot cooler and this is this is yeah. real innovation right here and yeah. imagine like instead of going out and buying external monitors you just put this on and your workspace is projected in front well, of well and they upgraded i guess along with the field of view they upgraded the internal uh displays that are your monitors essentially to instead of 720p on each eye display it's actually 2k now that's amazing. So that's like double the. That's pixels, a tremendous yeah. increase. Yeah. So I'd love to try one of yeah, these. Yeah, these on. are. I've seen some videos of like people trying them. You know, I I think Corridor Digital. I'm pretty sure they did one with it, and it was like they were fighting zombies in AR. So those like there was like those zombies coming through their their whole like their room, uh, room and stuff, and they were like trying to escape from. So yeah, just really cool stuff, both gaming and actual real world applications. That's wild, and they really improved the design too they put the weight of the product more towards the back of your head so yeah. it wasn't on your eyes or forehead they improved the strap so it's easier to wear and doesn't get caught in your hair as much um I, this is a product i'm genuinely excited about yeah i'll probably never get my hands on it uh never try it out maybe five years from now ten years from now we'll have this in real world uh use but yeah well i guess we'll just have to wait for then and if you get your hands on it you're lucky uh, and please share send it to it. us yeah, send us send us some pics or feedback we'd love to hear about it okay what is next next in quick news quick news quick news is wppi did you know what that's no that stands for wedding and 
Portrait Photography International. And that's another conference. So we actually had two conferences going on at basically the same time. You had Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. This one was in Las Vegas. Uh, one from February 25th to March 1st. And yeah, I don't know how long exactly it's been going on, but it's basically, as the name describes, it's a photography conference. So the first thing that we actually had was a lot of new lenses from Sony, uh, Sigma, Tamron, and Leica. You know, you had lenses uh, for so Sony cameras, Canon cameras, Nikon, cam Nikon cameras. You know, they pe some people pronounce it Nikon. Wait, really? Yeah, I think that's the uh, Japanese way. Nikon. Which technically they're, or maybe it's the British way. I'm not quite sure. Oh, what? How is it properly pronounced? Do we know that? I'm not. I think there's a huge debate, which we could have just jumped fully oh, into. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. So we're pivoting the topic yeah. of this episode. <laughs> Away from that. After we finish our <laughs> quick news soliloquy, yeah. we're pivoting into if it's Nikon or Nikon. Yeah, gosh. that I know. If you, if you start searching for that, you're going to end up in some very heated forums online. Okay. We got new lenses. It looks like we also saw some huge advancements in sd cards well micro sd cards. micro actually, sd cards specific. you saw sandisk which is honestly personally my favorite brand for micro sd they're cards. they're one of the better ones very well known yeah they released a 512 gigabyte and a one terabyte again this is a micro sd yeah this is something you could put in you your eat. phone you could eat this easily okay yes that's oh wait that's where my other one went <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay so my snack bag so we have these huge capacities how much are these going to cost uh they're starting at the 512 one is listed right now on bnh at 259 dollars oh my and the god. one terabyte one is at 564 oh my god so that's pretty expensive yep that's I, it. Don't, I don't really yep. have anything else i think but if you look at the history of flash storage flash storage i don't know i've Flesh storage? You know, talking about... They actually... <laughs> this gets me into an interesting topic. You know, the most storage are like... I guess the best place to store stuff is actually human DNA. It's ridiculous how much information human DNA they've been able to store. Like the strands of DNA. Yeah. Like, I, I don't I don't have it on hand easily, but I know they've put like something like... Like ridiculous, like 220 terabytes in like something the size of like a micro SD card. Like microscopic amounts. Because essentially, if you if you think about what DNA is, it holds this sequence of information. Coded me. Yeah, and it's four and it's four codes, right? Because yeah. it's that double helix. So it's like, yeah, it's soup. I don't know. Anyways, that was a slight pivot. Maybe one day there, that's future episode. Yeah, future episode, we'll be talking about you know the new camera that has uh, DNA type storage. But yeah, these are. I mean, the big thing is that current devices might not actually support these because you know a lot of devices people don't know but they'll have like they'll say only like 128 gigabytes i think the new uh, s10s support up to 512 gigabyte cards, true, yeah so they wouldn't support the one terabyte one um but these are geared towards smartphones actually that's crazy so you know if you pick up a a new phone android phone not an iphone of course because those yeah nope no expandable storage there it'd be interesting too i think if these could work with laptops in a sense like instead of getting yeah. a new internal ssd like you just pop a little yeah that i mean i mean i yeah i don't know it's it would definitely be pretty interesting They're so tiny the write speed might not be quite as fast as an ssd yeah that could be the biggest limiting factor yeah um additionally it's not as much for cameras and stuff but they did also release if you're interested in security cameras they released some devices uh some sd cards sorry micro sd cards that are geared towards you know the rewritability of a security camera so you know you pop in a micro sd card it just loops over and over and over and over again so this yeah. these have like a really high 
uh, amount of times that they can be rewritten. That's great. And I, I see that home security is really a emerging field right now. Yeah. What what else did we see? Uh, the final thing that I mean, there was tons of other stuff that came out uh, from uh, this. Okay, WPI. give me a highlight item. The this highlight thing that I think, uh, and we'll see how actually good it ends up being, is the Ricoh Theta Z1 360 camera. Who names these things? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I thought that was a really catchy name. Like, I I haven't been able to stop thinking. I think I was going to write a song <laughs> about it. Like, okay, so what what is this 360 camera? Well, I mean, if, if you're not familiar with with what a 360 camera is, because some people still aren't, you know, they're not really mainstream yet. But basically. If you take a picture with a 360 camera, uh, you can, you know, look around. Instead of just pointing it one direction, you essentially see 360 degrees. And usually these devices consist of two lenses, sometimes up to like eight, nine. This one is two lenses because generally the more consumer-friendly ones are only two lenses because... It's easier. It's more affordable. It's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but the thing that's exciting about this one, I mean, Ricoh, their Theta line is one of the best uh 360 cameras out there um probably not the best anymore we'll get into that in a little bit but what's exciting about this is it's the first one at least i think for a consumer camera 360 camera to have a one inch sensor well actually two one inch sensors technically because there's two lenses uh but yeah so that's a big deal i do you know that's huge about what oh, good pun huge yeah because it's bigger um but do you know what like the big difference is for a one inch sensor between like a smaller sensor uh, I guess it would be light, low light performance. Yeah, exactly. So basically you're going to get better low light performance. And this one also has an adjustable aperture, which I'm not quite convinced on as far as like focus wise, if it's going to be a big deal, but basically you could let in more light um, or let in less light. So that's kind of cool. And I know it's also going to have a feature. I forget what they're calling it. I think it's time shift or something, but it would be so that as a photographer, you wouldn't be in the photo. So I think what it'd be is you... You'd you like take put it down and then you have to I, move and it yeah, takes I think two you, pictures. I think you go around on one side and then go to the other. And it like stitches. Because I know when I take pictures, I usually hit timer and then run and hide behind something. Yeah, that's what you got to do. So take, yeah. yeah, I mean this, we'll see what it, this one I was really, it's $999. So Whoa. it's a little more expensive than most 360 cameras. So that I should have probably prefaced that up front. Um, I, most of them are around 300 to like five, 600. So a little more expensive. But I'm really hoping this the quality is there. I was a little disappointed looking at the specs to see that it actually shoots uh, lower res photos than the Insta 361 X, another really just great name. So the photos are slightly lower res and actually the megabytes per second on the 4K video is I'm pretty sure it's like only, I wanna say like 40 or something like that. That's low. Maybe it's, it might be higher, but I know that it's definitely lower than whatever the Insta 361 X shoots. All right, well, I guess, again, another one of those wait-and-see products. Yeah. Well, and finally, here we go. The last item of quick news, quick news, is just this one hopefully is a quick thing. We'll see how long it takes us. You know, let's start timing it now. Uh, but basically, GoPro, this wasn't at the WPPI, but they just announced the GoPro Hero 7 Black Dusk White Edition. Okay, that was pretty quick. Yeah, that's basically all you need to know is that it is exactly the same as every other GoPro Hero 7 Black, except for it's dusk white edition. So it's just basically colored a slightly like lighter color on the outside that doesn't affect at all the quality of your video or photos. So why would you really care? I mean, I guess whatever, who cares? We're moving on. Yeah. Cool, so, but not really. Now into the meat of the discussion for this episode. I'm vegetarian, dude. That's really insane. <laughs> 
get out of here. I'm so sorry. Could you say the, and maybe the Beyond Burger Me? And now into the Beyond. Or what about, what? I mean, I guess, well, meat can be a plant, right? Like coconut meat. Is that meat? I think that is. Maybe. The meat of the coconut. The meat? Isn't it fat? Like it's coconut. Uh, Well, you get fat. I don't know. We've got really. Now into the main topic of this podcast discussion. Meat or fat? Uh, we'll add that to the list the meat that you eat yeah we have we just generated like six other podcasts not just episodes but actual podcasts what is the platform or medium that is the go-to for digital creators right now in 2019 snapchat i strongly disagree I too i was being provocative okay interesting uh, i guess all right. the devil's advocate from my perspective i see three kinds of content creators we have yeah. photographers, yeah. we have people producing video content, and we have people producing audio content. Those, okay. those are the three big categories. That, I would say there's also maybe written. Written content. That's something I hadn't considered. Uh, I, I would still... Yeah, I mean, that's kind of hard to consider. I don't know. I, it generally, yeah, I would agree with you. We generally don't put written in as much of the creative category because like, words are so prevalent. You know? Right, yeah. I guess it's not... It is an art form, but I guess I see it as less of a creative endeavor than the visual creative elements that I consume daily. Yeah, or the audio. Yeah, but uh, it's true. I spend a lot of time on Reddit and reading blog posts, so maybe we can touch on that. Would you want to... Do you want to dive into one of these sectors first? I mean, I think we'll go with, first off, like what we do a lot of, which yeah. is... I mean, we're both YouTubers. So I, For, I mean, I, I don't, I would, I, I, I hate to say that we're YouTubers because, or I hate to say that I'm a YouTuber. I won't speak for you because, you know, I only have like 15,000 subscribers or so that, I mean, I'll say it to my friends and they're like, oh, wow, that's so cool. But when you look in like comparison to, you know, PewDiePie now is at 87 million. Oh my God. I know. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Gee whiz. But even just the average, like, you know, I feel like you can't be a YouTuber until you get. 100,000. 100,000, I feel like, is really the... Once you get that first play button, um, or maybe if you've published 1,000 videos... Then you're legitimate. doing it for 10 years, then you're a YouTuber. Yeah. You know, it's really... It's hard to say because you do have so many people actually earning an income from it now. I, I respectfully disagree. I love saying I'm a YouTuber. Okay. I think well, that... I'll, well, I'll just I'll pack up my stuff and leave now. Yeah, I, that's right. The real YouTubers yeah. in the house. Yeah. I, I think, no, it's it's fun, it's creative, and... I think what defines it for me is kind of a regular upload schedule. Yeah, I guess you do say, I mean, because if someone's a photographer, will you say you're a photographer if you, only if you make a certain amount of money, like if someone, if you say I'm a photographer, someone's like, let me see your, uh, let me see your tax, like income statements. Like, did you earn over so much in this year? Like that's, that's how you tell if you're a photographer. I think it's putting out consistent new content and that's to me what makes it. Yeah. And you just basically revitalize or in the process of revitalizing your channel and even only having 15,000 subscribers, you've gotten over 300,000 views on a video. Like that's huge. That's very substantial. Yeah. I mean, I guess it, it is very easy to look at what other people are doing and being like, well, who am I? Right. I'm a toddler. And walking I, among giants i guess um if you upload that one video that goes viral and it gets like a million hits yeah you, you can get like a nice payday but unless you're uploading content on like a regular basis i don't necessarily see that as being a youtuber yeah okay so that's that's the definition of a youtuber but i think youtube is youtube still a viable platform i know i don't know how much you've been following we've technically had adpocalypse 2.0 
that came along. Yeah, what what was going on with that? Uh, that to give you everyone like the TLDR, basically, what happened there was this. There was this YouTuber. I think his name was like Matt Wit It Is or something like that. Okay. I can't remember. He he was a pretty small YouTuber. He released a video that was basically saying that there was these pedophiles um, commenting on like videos from children. Uh, they were they were usually like videos of like say like a kid doing gymnastics or like you know basically they're all ki- videos with kids in them. Just and like a regular mom records kid yeah, at gymnastics lesson. Yeah, a lot of them like family vlogs or stuff like that. But the general thing was usually the thumbnails had like a kid like doing splits or something or in like a bathing suit or bikini. Um, and so then in the comments is what you get the issue of. You get these people leaving comments of like saying like, oh, I'd love, I'd really like guys so lucky or like, uh, like um, certain timestamps in the video, like just really just creepy and just sexually vulgar stuff that should not be associated with these kids obviously right absolutely uh and they were basically were doing it free reign so he put out this video and then the big the big thing that i think was i don't know it was debatable if he should have done this was then he basically started looking for ads appearing alongside those videos and then started tweeting at and like calling out these uh these you know these brands and stuff like that so and it sounds like it was kind of this one smaller YouTuber who really brought this to everyone's attention. He brought it. And I think it was an issue that definitely YouTube needs to address. And they have pr- done pretty well. They've removed, I think, like over 400 channels that were commenting bad stuff. The commenters. Um, and then they've, I think they've, rem- they've removed comments on like over, or disabled comments on over like 60,000 videos, like some ridiculous amount. They've taken away monetization, which I think is kind of a mean thing to do. That's hard for the creators. Right. Because it's punishing the creators for something that the commenters are doing. Right. Um, and it's also hard for advertisers. The advertisers don't want to be associated with these kinds of comments or content. Yeah. But, but the content's not bad. It, yeah, it's not bad. It's just the way it's being perceived, the way it's, it's like being It's like if someone painted a picture of like, I don't know, a, a bunch of fruit sitting on a counter and some guy came up and like, oh, that looks really sexy. Like, like that eggplant. That's turning me on. And then, yeah. And then, and then all of a sudden... The art institute's like, oh, actually, get rid of your art, dude, and and you know kicks you Dole out. Dole stops advertising next just, to them just because of this one person's uh, perverse or like insensitive and like just gross view of your interpretation of your art. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, I guess even though YouTube is experiencing these challenges, is is there another platform for video creators right now? Well, that's the thing, yeah. There's not, I mean, so many times people say, oh, I'm just, let's just go, someone create their own platform um, or a new, uh, create a new YouTube. That's really hard. Vimeo? Instagram? I mean, Vimeo's around, TV. and Vimeo's definitely an option for more professional works, but as far as, like, what YouTube has is it really has that social, uh, capability and like inbuilt uh community bottom line here youtube is not going away it is the second largest search engine yeah right after google so so get this it goes google and then then youtube owned by google owned by google in parentheses yeah not bing no not DuckDuckGo. no i mean it's ridiculous i mean they upload like isn't it like an hour footage every second or something like that it's It's unbelievable youtube so it's no wonder that they have an issue like processing all the videos and the comments the algorithms aren't perfect they're yeah. swamped with volume they just can't handle it all right no, now they really can't and i think one thing that is a bit like scary to see is like i think what was first the type of videos that they were removing demonetization on under adpocalypse 
1.0. It was content that was not deemed advertiser friendly. Yeah, okay. So that was so the issue there was I mean, obviously, yeah, if you have a video of ISIS or a video of, you know, someone like just like, yeah, just r- videos that we can all agree like those are bad videos and should not be almost shouldn't be on YouTube, but definitely shouldn't be monetized, you know. Yeah, but if it's someone reporting on something like that or like, you know, something that's like straddles the line, then it, a lot of those channels it's hard for them now because you know, they're constantly getting dinged with demonetization. I feel like Philip DeFranco is one of the YouTubers who is yeah, hit by this. He's definitely one of those big He ones. covers a lot of controversial content in his new summaries. Um, and in that instance, it is challenging to kind of differentiate what's advertiser-friendly, what's not advertiser-friendly, what makes sense. Yeah. And so now, the, now basically the new channels that you have hit with this adpocalypse is family channels, and channels of like young kids and i mean arguably i think you're technically not allowed to monetize your channel until you're 18 this is correct but if you have a parent do that you know because if you say your you know your accounts run by monitored by parent or whatever uh you know that's possible so yeah ryan toys review the number one grossing channel and i think he's nine right wow like ridiculous more than pewdiepie more than more than jake paul the more he's making more money yeah I think he made like 22 million last year. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unboxing toys and stuff. Oh my yeah. God. Isn't that the life? So YouTube is here. It's not going away. I don't think there's going to be any other video platform that can take a chunk because ha- YouTube has the audience. Yeah. But what I think is you have to take away from this is you have to diversify a little bit. Yeah. I think for content creators, they have to diversify their revenue streams. That's what I would because, say. Because yeah, if you all of a sudden, if your type of videos, you know, maybe you make... I don't know, sewing videos or that's, that's what came. That's your example. Okay. I was just trying to think of something really like just out like a neat, a really niche thing. Cause there's Super so many niche, niche things on, and video communities on YouTube. But if that one is the one that all of a sudden, for some reason gets, gets scooped into some adpocalypse type thing. Uh, and all of a sudden you're, you know, your revenue's cut in half or like completely cut off. Yeah. You gotta be prepared for that. I think. Absolutely. All right, so let's move on then to photographers. Where? Well, I think I think there's other video networks too. Video, okay. I think we should so, just. I don't want to do. I don't want to split them up. I think there's so much. I, I mean, yes, there are people who just produce photos and stuff, but a lot of people produce everything. They're cross. They're cross yeah, platform. It's like there's the whole influencer thing. So what's another popular network then? Well, I think obviously we mentioned YouTube, and you start. You briefly mentioned IGTV, which yeah. Was is that prevalent? Like, are not you, very prevalent? Are you on that? But what is prevalent is Instagram. Instagram is huge. If you're not on Instagram. Get on Instagram. Get out. <laughs> Leave. Everyone is on Instagram. It's it's I I would not even just say arguably. It is the number one social network right now. I think they took over from Snapchat. Mark Zuckerberg ripped the stories feature straight from Snapchat. Oh, it, it's I mean it's it's there's no debating that. He literally after he tried to buy Snapchat and they um Evan whatever his name is turned him down. Spiegel, I think. Yeah, Evan Spiegel turned him down. He literally went to his developers and said Every feature they release, take it, uh, make it ours, and do it better. And to his credit, they, I think they, they have did done exactly it better. That. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. They, it's not that they just copied it and ripped it off. They did it way better. They did it way better. It's got better alignment tools, positioning. Yeah. I think it's easier to create content. Yeah. It's amazing, I guess, how much better they were able to make it. And I, I do think Instagram is the largest growing platform, and it's going to be one of the best platforms that we see. It's amazing what you can do in terms of targeted advertising for businesses and kind of growing 
your engagement um and it's cool the analytics they provide as well yeah i would definitely think though it's would you agree that it's probably more suited for photos even though they do video and you can get tons of views on your videos I think it's still more suited for photos. Okay, so uh, Gabe, you make really excellent videos for Ithaca College, right? Yes. And this this goes on Ithaca College's social media channel, and I follow that. Uh, But I don't watch them because I can't play or pause them. I can't easily skip to a certain part of the video or like rewatch it. I can't slow it down. It's it's just like the worst video consumption experience ever. Yeah, it's basically like Vine. But can't full screen you it. can also, but the videos rather than being six seconds, they're up to a minute long. So if you want to watch that thing at 45 seconds again, well, strap in, baby. You got another 40 <laughs> uh, minute to go before you come back around. Yeah, it's it's crazy. So I think videos are terrible on Instagram. I wouldn't say terrible. Okay. They're, I, I don't think it's a video platform. Less yeah. than ideal. Yeah. Room for improvement. Yes, I definitely, there's a lot of room for improvement. IGTV. I kind of liked, but at the same time, I think they were trying to do way too much. What what I think they're doing right is I think they're doing vertical video right. Yeah, I'm still not a fan of vertical video, though. I think it... I'm, I'm coming around to okay. it. I think I use my phone vertically, and if I'm going to be consuming video content on yeah. my phone and it's able to be vertical, I think that's great. I think well, it's that's, fine. That's, honestly, what do you think about TikTok then? I, have you used TikTok at I all? I have not used TikTok at all. See, I I honestly would... I included TikTok on my list I was making up of like, what do digital creators do in 2019? Yeah. Uh, because TikTok, I think it's it was the number one... It was in the... I think it was the number one app downloaded between January and February this year so far. It's because they've been putting all their advertising dollars okay, on I know. Instagram and Snapchat. But still, that's a ridiculous amount. Um, And I'm pretty sure it has 550 million active users a month which is i'm and i think it actually has more Wait, than really that. that's that's it has I a think lot that's more than yeah that's more than snapchat i'm no i'm pretty sure it's surpassed snapchat now is it past instagram it's not, i don't think it's past instagram it might be uh getting close to twitter though uh so it's definitely it's and the demographic skews really low so you're getting obviously younger, really really young kids yeah. well not i mean yeah some of them are really really young which actually was a whole nother they had their whole other thing blow up of their own mini adpocalypse 2.0 uh, but yeah, you're getting, you know, the younger demographics and I don't know. It's kind of, it's like a revamped vine almost. Well, yeah. What are people posting on TikTok for those? I unfamiliar? mean, basically it started out the, the sh- like long story short is that it started out as musically, you might remember. Uh, and those were kind of the videos of people doing like karaoke, right? Lip dubbing. Okay. Over like either video, um, like audio from something, just like some video or like memeable audio or, uh, possibly a song. Or something yeah and so that got rebranded as tiktok i don't know why but that's what they did and now it's really they've expanded a lot of the tools that you get like i only i posted one video on my tiktok you have a tiktok i have a tiktok right i know i don't wow. even know what my username is i haven't used it in about two months though so um, you're were, you were one of those downloads during that time one of those downloads yeah uh but it's i don't know it's really like i was watching some of the videos that people create in the app and it's really incredible how creative they are because you can do all this stuff with like speeding up, uh, slow, you know, slowing down video, reversing it. Like there's a ton of really, it's a really good inbuilt, like built-in video editor. Uh, but I don't know. It will be interesting to see what that turns into and how that incorporates with other stuff. So is it another video platform? Like who is this competing with? Well, I think it's it's different than YouTube because it's not like you make, it's not like you can make content and then put it on 
TikTok, it's more like you make content specific. You have to. You have, do you have to use the app? You don't have to. You can take any vertical video and pretty much put it in. Um, but the more popular videos are ones that catch on to any trends or any memes. And yeah, it's it's. I don't know. It's really interesting. I would recommend anyone who's interested in social media, or it's just kind of bored, go download TikTok uh, and you know check it out. It's they're pretty entertaining videos in there. If you liked Vine, it's basically like Vine. That's fascinating. I. It's amazing how many social media services are able to emerge. You would think we have it all, but I guess there's still room in the marketplace. Yeah, there definitely is. Um, you know, and I mean, Facebook's trying to push video on their site. Uh, do you think that's going to work for them? Is video, does video fit into the Facebook platform? I, mean, I, it, I don't know. Do you watch video ever on Facebook? I watch, uh, I personally see a lot of videos. I don't know how much I watch through. But I noticed one thing I noticed, and they're, I think they're trying to work on it. I'm not quite sure. They kind of, I, I, yeah, I don't know. But they basically, there's a lot of stolen videos on Facebook. This is That's actually a huge problem. Yeah. Videos from really great YouTubers, what comes to my mind is smarter every day. Yeah. Put so much energy and effort into creating valuable and entertaining content. And what people will do is rip the 15 seconds of slow motion for like getting a tattoo and how that works. Yeah. Put it on YouTube. And even though you can see the smarter everyday watermark in the footage, it's still there. And that to me feels unacceptable and something Facebook should really prioritize if yeah, they want creators really, to be using well, the Well, the thing is they want, mainly they want video views. Yeah. And they want people to start watching videos. And I know they've actually been producing their own content, which is ridiculous, right? Like Facebook is producing original content for Facebook. Like, yeah. But anyways, yeah, there's they've they have cleaned up their act a little bit as far as this goes. But I know uh, this YouTuber Gus Johnson had this video a while back where it was like, I think it, I forget what he titled it, but it was like Facebook or like Facebook versus YouTube, and it was like, um, he was he was like uh he was had this it was like a little skit and it was basically like this he was like um. Oh, everyone look at this. He was like YouTube first. And I was like, oh, everyone look at this video I made. And it was like maybe six or seven people. And they were like, oh, wow, that's really cool. I really like it. And then he, and then he comes in and grabs the phone and he's like, and turns it around and the camera pans over and there's this huge crowd. And he's like, hey, everyone, look at this video I made. Everyone's just like, oh my God, I'm freaking out. And it's this huge mass of people. And that's basically what it's like is you have a lot of these smaller videos ripped from creators. Uh, a lot of times, sometimes re-edited slightly and added like, you know, the, the text over or whatever, the right, captions. Yeah. And then, yeah, they get millions of views. And that's actually what gets me is the little text that comes over, like those vertical straight down cooking videos. I don't know if you've ever seen those mm. and it comes with the text on yeah. the screen. Those are so addicting to watch. I do not know yeah. what it is. No, that's no. I Yeah, they've obviously and it's the autoplay and they know you're not going to have audio on. Yeah, so they put the text over. It's really clever. Yeah. Well, a lot of them are made by Clever, actually, that company. Isn't it it's the double V, C-L-E-V-V-E-R, right? Clever News. Oh, maybe maybe you're right. I don't know. I was just uh -oh. my ADD okay. freaking out right now. Uh, yeah, okay, so, quick, jump back, jumping back to photos. Well, I think well, I think this is actually, this is kind of jumping back to photos. Well, I was going to say, people forget, I think, how valuable content is. So one thing that is still like a viable option, other than a social media network, is selling your content um, as either stock footage or just as art in general. Like if you take photos, maybe sell it as stock on, you know, I think what's one. Uh, Could you sell it on Etsy? You can sell, well, you can sell. I'm not sure if Etsy has a print platform. Okay. But I know that, uh, you know, well, I was going to either say that you have like Shutterstock or um, 2020. I think there's iStock. There's a couple different stock photo sites where you can put your photos up. I use personally Adobe Stock is the one I've had the best 
luck with and you can do video or uh photos or even like i think illustrator stuff and a bunch of different things but that's personally that's one option and then also yeah you can sell it as like if you want to sell your photos uh as prints or something like that you can do that and i'm pretty sure a lot of like wix for example i think they have a service built in where you can lit put your photos up right and if someone wants to buy it they you know click buy print or whatever and it will send them like they'll get mailed that version like or possibly the digital download like you can yeah you can buy it. digital downloads yeah. too uh so that's definitely i mean in today's world content is so just everywhere like we're overwhelmed with it so we kind of forget its value so if you are a you know a digital content creator don't forget that you know there are other ways to monetize your content other than just putting it out for views and like giving it up for free this is true yeah. do with that in mind, do you think it makes sense for people to have a personal photo blog or something like that? Like, should a photographer upload everything to Instagram to really great gain a following and influence? Or should they focus on their site? Should they do both? I don't know. I mean, it's yeah, it depends what you're looking for in the world. And I mean, like what type of notoriety you're trying to get. Right? I guess that is true where you want to kind of drive your audience or have your influence. Yeah, I mean, there's and I know some a lot of creators will put watermarks on their photos and stuff, uh, but really, if you're uploading to Instagram, you know you might as well just get over the fact that your content probably is going to be stolen at some point, um, and just yeah, just try to keep an eye out for it though, and hope it's not too egregious and like, you know, someone with millions of followers, you know, like I know you ever heard of the site um, Fuck Jerry? This is I don't think that's explicit because it's the name of their thing, but that was an Instagram account that stole jokes from tons of other people and tons of other famous comedians and now and it was actually it's like they've got millions and millions of followers and they were selling promoted posts on there and like yeah it's like ridiculous it's out of control like when you have stuff like that happening yeah and there are a few accounts that will regram yeah basically take other people's instagram pictures and and post them i guess if you get permission I feel where like do you stand on the whole giving like if people have you ever gotten the messages i sometimes get them can we like repost your video or repost your photo we'll give you credit or we'll give you a link where do you stand on that i think depending on the account that's asking if they have a large enough following i see that to me personally as an opportunity to really expand my reach and my audience where hey i can introduce these people to my content maybe they'll click on it they'll come they'll follow me i know for example i follow a few different accounts related to minimalist setups and desk setups and they will post pictures from other user accounts and i'll be like oh wow this is really interesting i'll click on that person's account and i'll go and i'll check them out so for me i see it as a good opportunity uh videos i am less likely to be lenient on i would really only do it for photos at this point i think point. there's an ethical question though uh if you have those like those minimalism accounts yeah that didn't have an in like a built-in audience at one point they weren't like you know the queen of england or you know something that people are going to go follow just because it's you know that or like a brand like is it right to like, do that well because they eventually they had to build up their followers by stealing people's content hmm. so those people in the beginning weren't getting you know their posts put out to a million plus followers or whatever right i guess that is a really good question i i feel like i'm okay with it because it can bring communities together and i think yeah. that's cool Okay, yeah. Depending on where they get their start, if they do have to steal, that's obviously not great. If and also they're, if they're what if they're monetizing stuff too. Yeah. I I would want to see them giving credit and any monetization that they earn, like somehow splitting that revenue. But, but I mean, how do you split like say 
they're not they're not monetizing your post, right? Say they take your photo on Instagram, re- regram it. They're not actually monetizing it, but they then are able to sell. Hey, to a company, you want us to post something for you? It's five thousand dollars. Hmm, that's tough. Yeah, that's tough. Where where do you stand on that issue? I don't know. Yeah, it is a gray area. I think I generally um, on YouTube, like that's where my like because there are people also you know they can you can rip a video easily four K download or shout out to them. It's a really good app. Like you can go download any video, any audio from a video so easily. Uh, which is a good thing, I think, because there's a lot of ways that can be used for creatively, um, you know, collaborations and stuff like that. However, you know, I've, I've just come to acknowledge if someone wants to download my video and edit it and use it in their own thing and rip it, they can do it. So anytime someone asks me, as long as it's not like, hey, can I use your uh, footage for free in this HBO documentary that's going to be shown to me, you know, like as long as it's not too extreme, I generally will say yes uh, and say like, you know, can you not monetize it if possible? Or, you know, I don't know, give me a link. You know, if they're asking, they're generally, like, nice enough to, um, like, do that. And they could have done it anyways. So I, I didn't tend to reward that. But, yeah, you kind of have to just be like, my content's probably going to get stolen. Um, so I might as well make the most of it while it's new and, and exclusive. And then, yeah. I've seen that, too, on my channel. YouTube actually introduced a new feature where you can check to see if any videos that are published kind of match your videos yeah and i got like 10 different matches of people who just straight up 100 percent downloaded my video applied like a gross filter to it and then re-uploaded well, i it. just i actually that reminds me someone on facebook sent me a link to my someone uploaded i've had several ones they don't even apply filters they literally download and re-upload uh granted they don't they get like 10 views on them uh, i don't know what their actual end goal is but yeah, it's kind of, um, I always make sure to go on, I have to do it for this most recent one, but, you know, and report it, you know, flag it, flag it, uh, and hopefully, because generally it's not just one, they've, you know, ripped hundreds of thousands of videos possibly. Uh, sometimes they're even not even a human, they're just a bot that will, like, any video uploaded with such and such a search term. Um, I know there was one channel I came across that was doing it for any giveaway video, right? And so they, you know, they, they, they it'd be like, subscribe to his channel, leave a comment, so you'd be doing it to this channel, but... It wouldn't be that video. Right, exactly. Unbelievable. Yeah, so that's where uh, like stealing content goes. Um, now, we, we've talked a lot about video content and, and photo content. Uh, there's a YouTuber I follow, Matt Diavella. He makes great YouTube videos and also does a podcast. Um, I'm wondering if we could talk about... Oh, like, wow. There's a YouTuber who does a podcast? Oh, yeah, we don't, we don't know any people like that, do we? I don't think there's any... I think that's pretty rare. There's not many... No, there's like... Tons of people. Literally... Every YouTuber almost has a podcast. Uh, every YouTuber's grandmother, I think, also now has a podcast. It's kind of getting out of control. I actually pulled up, because I, I wanted to quantify this, I pulled up some quick stats on this. Uh, as of last year, one year ago, supposedly according to Apple, there was 500,000 podcasts. Okay. Currently now, 666,000. So, it's not a huge amount more, but... Yeah, that's a big amount more. That's, that's almost like twenty five percent more in a one year. Wow. Yeah, I think that one year time frame really puts that, and we could continue to see that grow. Uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy how fast the growth has been, uh, especially since when you consider that podcasts aren't very searchable, uh, in the sense that like most people listen to a podcast not because they're like, oh, I want to, like, I want to watch. Yeah, people aren't looking for information. Yeah. They're not looking for a dedicated podcast review of a product. They're, they're not looking for how-tos. They're not looking for 
of like a video like if you're on youtube right that's because i think of because as you said it's the second largest search engine you know you're searching for um footage of uh maybe a news report or you're searching for what does uh new york city look like in winter or this vacation spot i've heard of you know there's so many different things you can look for visually but when it comes to podcasts it's like either you're looking for something because a friend recommended it to you or maybe you came across an ad for it or I don't know. There is some information out there because I know I've occasionally looked up like for movie reviews and stuff like that. So that's one thing. But yeah, usually it's more just word of mouth. Okay. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think for all of the podcasts I listen to, I've had recommendations or I've read somewhere else online. Hey, go listen to this podcast. I generally don't search at all on my podcast app. And really, it's I know the person or I know the story kind of behind the podcast got started. And I listen because I think that person's interesting to listen to. Well, it's kind of like uh, the podcasts are replacing our conversations almost, you know, like discussions that we have. Yes. <laughs> I mentioned this earlier to you. That's why I was chuckling. Um, and I was it, trying to bring it up casually, like I hadn't mentioned it to you. But yeah, it was my, I had this thought that like, you know, we spend so much of our, our social time on social media rather than in-person contact. So podcasts are almost replacing the conversations that we have with, we used to have with each other. So instead of talking with your friends and other people, you are on social media, chatting with them, interacting with them, and then you're listening to other people talk in yeah. podcast form. I mean, yeah, I think that's one, because not all podcasts are like discussion-based. It's true. Some are kind of story-based. What comes to my mind is Serial. Yeah, Serial, or you even have, even like news reports you can have, uh, like NPR has tons of news-based podcasts, or New York Times, so... I think it fills it it basically it helps people feel like they're multitasking a little bit more it i agree like it is something i feel like i can do while doing other things around the house i'm doing dishes i'm cleaning i'm doing other things that are kind of mindless tasks it's nice to have something interesting and engaging to listen to yeah um i was actually just looking at there's some more stats on podcasts uh 44 of the u.s population has listened to a podcast so that's that's high. a lot of people. Yeah. It says podcast listeners are loyal, affluent, and educated. Uh, 80% listen to all or most of each podcast episode and listens to an average of seven shows per week. Wow. Seven That's... days per week, which means that one show per day. Yeah. I think what gets what gets it is the commute to work. That's, I think, one of the best times to listen to a I podcast. I mean, I definitely notice, yeah, when I'm driving, that's... I mean, I used to listen to... I still listen to music a lot sometimes, um, but... It's I, podcasts are very. You feel like you're doing something is definitely the thing. It's thought provoking. I really like it. Yeah. So where where are people hosting their podcasts? Like, what's the best platform for that? I mean, we use uh, Podbean. I think is what we use. But there's also Libsyn, uh, Buzzsprout, and what was the other one you like? Transistor. Transistor. I know um, Anchor just got bought by Spotify. Yes. Uh, for was it a couple million? think most likely yeah and so that's one thing that i haven't used anchor but one thing that's interesting about them is you can record it on your phone uh so that's like really good for people just starting up and uh obviously being acquired now by spotify you're like what is the level of integration that you're going to get right and to be clear for people who may be unfamiliar while you may think a podcast is on spotify or on apple podcasts it's actually hosted on another service and Apple and Spotify are then linking to that original file location. Yeah, it's actually uh, an easy way to think of it. It's the same way they actually do Apple News. So 
people uh, like publishers like New York Times doesn't actually publish to Apple News. They instead, you know, publish their like to their news site, the New York Times.com, like they usually do. Uh, and then Apple just finds that sees that article and then grabs all the, you know, the text and stuff because New York Times has told them, hey, this is where all of our stuff's going to be. And they go pull it through, put it through their filters, whatever, make it look nice and then put it in the app for you. Yeah. And that's pretty great. Um, and I guess for musicians that I feel like is one of the last categories, um, what what's the platform for them? Like, where can they find their audience? That's really that's hard. I mean, I have a friend who's a musician. I have a couple of friends who are musicians. Um, one was trying to do the YouTube game for a while. And I guess YouTube is pretty oversaturated with musicians. It's um, oversaturated with a lot of things. It's oversaturated right now. with a lot. But I think people aren't looking for new musicians, right? There's certain stuff where people will look for new stuff or it's, you know, can get very relevant. But for example, a cover of a song, right? If you if a new song comes out within almost like two or three days, within hours sometimes even, you'll have covers going up. So it gets very hard and it's like a very like stressful environment to try to get a cover up that actually, you know, gets decent search result uh, placement. Right. And, I you know, I think YouTube is trying to make a push with YouTube music. But um, I still see that as an emerging platform and not necessarily the best one for creatives. What what comes to my mind is honestly SoundCloud. Like I think, yeah, SoundCloud is definitely huge. I mean, I still, if I was, um, I I did record music actually in, when I was in high school. I wrote songs and stuff, uh, and I keep up to date with all the newest stuff. And I talk to people. I think, yeah, SoundCloud is definitely one way. But if I were still doing that and if I, I don't know maybe i might jump back and do it personally i'm a big fan of cd baby um and other sites like that where you pay i know the other one is TuneCore that people know of i wouldn't use that because that makes you pay like a subscription to keep your music up on sites like itunes and stuff or cd baby you pay a one-time fee uh, and then they do take a percentage from your overall earnings but at least you're not paying if you're only making like pennies you're not having to pay $20 a, a year right, for that service. Exactly. So I would, you know, still, even if it's not the best quality, as long as it's a pretty good quality song or album, you know, put it up on uh, the, the, you know, Spotify or whatever. And the good thing now is you used to have to ask people to buy it, right? Now, if they have Spotify or, you know, oh, something, yeah, just ask just, them to listen to it. Yeah, that's and true. You're not, you're not like if they don't like it fine they stop listening but at least you're it's very easy for someone to just say hey let me let me see what there's it sounds no like. more price barrier exactly and I think that's a great feature of these subscription services yeah so yeah if you're a musician i would say stick to the main stuff like you know using uh uploading you know not to spotify but you know main like selling stuff like that uh and then use youtube and other stuff as like kind of promotional tools which is very hard i mean that's uh, a very hard thing to do nowadays for a lot of independent creators is you have to be the creator, the marketer, the businessman. Like, it's not an You're easy a company. route. Yeah, you have to very much be a whole company yourself. I don't know why I am so attracted to this route of life. Um, <laughs> you know, I very much eschew any like you know mainstream job or nine to five job, and I want to do a lot on my own entrepreneurial stuff. But yeah, it's it's a tough it's a tough route to go. It really is. Are, are there any other social media or, or platforms you want to talk about? Or? I don't know. I mean, I think we hit the big ones. So if you're making videos, YouTube is the platform to be on. YouTube's yeah, I'd say YouTube or nope. There's no or. It's just or, you're on YouTube. No, or you're there not has making to be videos. another one steps in. I cannot be locked in like this. You're locked in. It's because that's where the audience is. People aren't going to search for videos on any other platform. Just let that sink Bing. in, everybody. 
Okay, so they'll use Bing, Bing videos to get, to get a YouTube What's, Does result. Microsoft have a video platform? Or? They do not. Yeah, there's really... That's it. If you make videos, YouTube. Photos, Instagram. Although, I guess there's like Pinterest and... Uh, I mean, Facebook, you still... Facebook, you can, you can have too. photos. Uh, what's the other one that, that people use for filters? Oh, uh, in Visco. Visco. But people only use that for filters. I'm not a big goes fan up of on Visco. Instagram. Um, though I do know I have friends who are into it and I get their argument that where Instagram is more of a social media network, uh, Visco is a more of a social photo. It's like a photo sharing network. So in Instagram, it would be like poor taste if you posted six posts in a row, right? Yes. On Visco, if you post six photos, 20 photos, no one's going to really care that much because it's about sharing the photos, not about like correctly timing and reading the room of when you should post this thing and like yeah that is true if you're doing audio well also i think for photos uh and video we should mention you know selling uh doing stock photos or video that can be a great alternative revenue source um especially for youtubers avoiding the adpocalypse as well as um and it's it's also it's passive uh passive income income, that's what you want it's always good Uh, and i wouldn't expect to earn a ton um, I know in the time that I've been doing it, which is like maybe, I think probably six, nine months, probably nine months, almost a year now. Almost a year. I've earned about $75. Whoa. Oh, wait. Pro- well, actually, no, there's probably more because that's, tw- there's this app called 2020. It's it's the word 20 and then the number 20. Uh, and that's, I, I mainly think of that as like, a, I've been doing that for almost two, three years. I've probably earned through them actually over $300. But I don't really think of them as like a stock photo thing, even though they are, because they seem so app-based and like new and hip and stuff. They don't have a dedicated website. I, well, they actually do have a website, but okay. it, it's ma- most people I think come to this app or come to it through the app. Interesting. Portal. So uh, yeah, having a service where you can sell your footage for passive income—that's another it's great. Definitely thing. a good thing. Uh, and then if you're doing audio, it's basically find a hosting platform you feel works well, for you. And would your you needs. recommend that someone starts a podcast in 2019? Like if you were, if you were looking at us now, after I'd given you all those facts and we talked about it back in January, would you, and we, and we were like, Hey, young Sesson, I want to start a podcast. I mean, I'm not going to tell would anyone say, to like not follow their dreams. I would say it depends where your skills and strengths are. And for someone our age, I'm 21. I'm about to graduate college. If you're younger, I see starting a podcast as a great way to show businesses and companies your skills and what you can do, your dedication, True. your commitment, your work ethic, how many listeners you can build up. And to me, having a side project looks great on a resume. It's something you can talk about. Even if it's really challenging, I still I would still recommend it. Like if you're a, a skilled speaker using your skills to create a podcast i speak good english i do no yeah i i agree with you uh the thing is though you kind of it's you don't have that uh potential for for viral for virality i don't think as much as virality so going viral exactly like if you start like you can start a youtube channel uh be doing it for maybe six months or so and then have a couple videos pop and all of a sudden next thing you know you're at a hundred thousand subscribers you're getting you know several thousands of views on every video this is true where with podcasts i feel like that's not a thing that happens as much it's more of like a slow burn where you just gotta keep putting up episodes and you know if everyone if every listener shares it with one more listener then like you'll slowly grow right okay okay so then i guess with that i would say uh find your passion find your interest find your skills 
and then find the platform that works for you and then don't do a podcast and then don't do a podcast (laughs) no put it on youtube i think i think youtube is a platform it's one of the easiest to grow on yeah and having that as a central place even for music just having that i think can really help you grow some of the fastest well i think actually i think we're a bit jaded and a bit like one-sided because we only because we're we're youtubers no well because i was saying because we're doing a discussion-based podcast very much i mean we are we do have the quick news segment which is very informational and very quick uh but as far as like you know there's so many discussion-based podcasts out there if you can do a podcast that's very well you know produced like a serial or something that covers a really niche topic like say you have a podcast on i don't know sewing <laughs> i hate to i hate to circle Give back to you that. in sewing i don't know what it is but it is just so cool right gabe is infatuated yeah. right now no it's really uh you know coming up with that podcast that actually is going to have an audience that possibly might you know maybe maybe okay my little ponies or like i listen to podcasts about you know comics or like superheroes right people that's stuff that people want to hear people talk about uh and that could be discussion based but also could be like a deeper dive into like you know what's going on with uh you know this trend or you know what the news or like investigating certain things i think it's also like own your niche like find yeah. what what you can skillfully talk about and then do that to the best of your ability yeah like that might be something we want to listen to ourselves because uh, we're all over the place we're a bit all over the place i think our po- skills are talking about everything yeah right oh great that is really going to work well with people uh you know finding something they like yeah so i think actually that ultimately i think podcasting it's all about niche i a lot of platforms and quiche too quiche yeah there's not many quiche based podcasts that could be our niche <laughs> yeah, we're, we're pivoting <laughs> yeah, there okay we go. all right wow yeah, i was on a roll there i think you were on a roll i was on a roll I, um yeah find your niche Find what you enjoy doing, yeah. and uh, I think if you're young and you got the time, go ahead and do it. Yeah, and ultimately, yeah. I mean, I know we say it over and over again, but find your passion and pursue it. Uh, you know, if if you don't achieve it in six years, and you come to someone and say, "Hey, you know, I I, I give it a try," well, yeah, you have a lot more of your life to try. I mean, obviously, there's the whole money thing and making money, but you know, people can make it work. You know, get a job on the side, do it on your free time. Uh, maybe when you're 80 and after that time, if you said, I've tried for like 60 years of my life doing this and it didn't work out, maybe then you can be like, you know, the, I was dealt a crap hand or like something like that. Sure. Yeah. But I think that's, I don't know. That was pretty much it for me. Yeah. I I think we covered pretty much everything. Um, and you know, to be honest, there are new platforms emerging, but I think the big ones have really established themselves and will continue to be popular and prevalent in our society. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much how it should be. So, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Uh, hopefully you found this podcast somewhat informative <laughs> and entertaining. Uh, it's not a niche podcast, so it's very broad. We talked about quiches. We talked about sewing. We talked about, I don't know, what did, we talked about a lot of stuff talked about some phones yeah some phones oh yeah this is a tech podcast too so we did talk about some technology swappa swappa got to get that mentioned in there but yeah anyway guys thank you for listening this was a kind of long episode so let us know what you thought about it on social media pinch to zoom pod on twitter and pinch to zoom podcast on instagram and of course you can email us any tech questions on at pitch to zoom podcast at gmail.com or hit up those aforementioned 
social media accounts. And if you like this podcast, share it with one friend so we can continue to grow. Yeah, but also you could share it with an enemy too. Share it with an enemy so we yeah. can continue to grow. I'm not against that. Maybe maybe if you like if you didn't like the podcast, no, they love to send it to an enemy. It was too good. Yeah. Everyone needs to know. All right, that's it. Yeah. Uh, wait, isn't there some other outro or no? That's it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pinch to Zoom. No, there's no other outro. Okay, yeah. No, it's just it. We I have think... to end casually. Yeah.